Today, as we pick up our series on the Psalms from last summer, we'll begin with Psalm 21, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will f find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, Though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The word of the Lord. As Cynthia indicated, it's become my habit to preach through psalms in the summertime. I think the psalms help us to slow down. I think the psalms help us they absolutely help us to learn how to meditate on the Word of God and really learn how to pray. There are 150 psalms by the Holy Spirit's design. They are prayers, 150 prayers and sung prayers at that. You have Thanksgiving songs and praise songs and victory chants. You even have the blues in the psalms. The church father, Athanasius, said... Most of scripture speaks to us, while the Psalms speak for us. It was John Calvin who said that these Psalms collectively are an anatomy for all parts of our soul. There's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. John Calvin went on to write that, Whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught us in this book. Eugene Peterson wrote that God speaks to us. Our answers are our prayers. People, I've noticed this, that people in their darkest moments respond most personally to the Psalms. I don't think it's an accident that you can find a pocket New Testament with what soul book from the Old Testament, the Psalms. You can find a pocket New Testament and Psalms. So people want to hear the Psalms when they're on their deathbeds, when they're struggling in dark moments of their souls. If I can take the words that Galadriel spoke to Frodo, the Psalms are a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Whatever the circumstances that you have experienced, you can see how the ancient Israelites prayed about that very issue that you're struggling with. You can usually find a psalm 
that relates to your struggle, that relates to your need. But Psalm 21, uh, we can see how the ancient Israelites, at a point in their history, prayed for their king. I know we don't have a king. But you see how Israel prayed for their king. Now, I know that in, in our society here in America, people debate whether President Trump is, a, is good for the United States or not. And in a similar matter, years ago, people debated whether President Obama was good for the United States or not. I am happy that I don't have to answer that question. I don't believe I'm called to answer such a question. I do believe, however, that I, that I am called to say that Christians ought to pray for their leaders. I'm very clear on that, regardless of who the leader is. We ought to pray for our leaders. It was the Apostle Paul uh, to, his, uh, to his young friend Timothy who said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. That was very much at the foundation of Paul's theology and outlook for how Christians should handle themselves in the public square and in society. And I actually believe that we can pray for our leaders, regardless of who they are, how high up they are, what perspective they have, whether we voted for them or not. We just had a local election this, this past week. We can pray for leaders with contentment and confidence when we pray according to God's agenda. According to God's agenda. We can actually pray for leadership with contentment and confidence. The Israelite king that you read about in Psalm 21 was really blessed. And as you read Psalm 21, you see that in his life and in his governing, also in his pursuit of justice, both internal domestic justice and external justice in foreign affairs, and even in military campaigns, you see that he was a blessed leader. And we understand why in the heart of the psalm in verse 7. The psalmist says, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. You know, sometimes, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes psalms correspond to one another. They're edited in such a way that you can see the relationship of one psalm to another thematically. One of those rare occasions is between Psalms 20 and 21. You see, Psalm 20, which we looked at uh, probably 10 months ago. Psalm 20 was a king's prayer and a people's prayer, a nation's prayer for military deliverance. For instance, in Psalm, in Psalm 20, uh, verses 7 through 9, this is what we read. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now, in Psalm 21, you have a thanksgiving for deliverance. Listen to the first two verses in today's psalm. O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. It's an answer to praising God for an answer to prayer. It's as if the nation was commemorating, you know, it's as if it's as if the psalm, Psalm 21, is commemorating a national day of thanksgiving and celebration, according to one commentator. 
But notice who gets the celebration. Notice who is celebrated, who is praised, who is actually worshipped. It's God. It's not the politicians, not the generals. God is worshipped for the success of the nation. Look at the end. Look at verse 13. The psalm concludes, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So the king here in, in Psalm 21 is a blessed leader because he leads under God's lordship. The key to his leadership is that he's in submission to Almighty God. Now, I want to open this up to you. Sometimes I do this. I want to ask you a question, and I want to hear briefly some of your answers. What is striking to you in Psalm 21 about how the ancient Israelites thought about leadership and how Americans think about leadership? What's striking to you about how they, compared to Americans, thought about leadership based in, just based on Psalm 21. What do you think? I'd love to hear it. What's striking? There's an intimate relationship with God. You mean like between king and God or people and God or? Okay, so there's an intimate relationship between the people and God that you don't see today. Okay, thank you. Any other thoughts? What's striking to you in Psalm 21? That you're not accustomed to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, you actually pulled out one of the images in there. God is responsible for making him the king and keeping him the king and actually setting the crown on his head, which was an ancient tradition. If you captured a city, they'd put the defeated king's crown on the, the victorious king's. But, but you're saying it's God that establishes and sustains all of that. Yeah. Okay. In, okay, thank you. In our culture, we give credit to the person. We praise the person for his or her intelligence and acumen and accomplishments. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so an allusion from the previous psalm, from Psalm 20. We, we trust in chariots and horses, and we may not ride around in chariots, but we have other things that we place our trust in. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so we assume, Americans assume, we choose our leader. Because we went to the ballot box. Whereas the Israelites are, their assumption is God has chosen this person. Okay. All right. Yeah. One more. Okay. Okay. So our priority in choosing leadership has to do with wealth and riches, not necessarily with who's going to lead us in the ways of God. Okay. Really, really good uh, perceptive insights. I appreciate them. I want to share with you how we can bless our leaders of all sorts at all levels. Because there's leadership in your home. There's leadership where you work. Not just in the White House, not just 
at the Supreme Court, not just at the Maryland House of Delegates. There's leadership on all levels, right? Uh, so here's how we can bless our leaders of all sorts and on all levels. We can pray for them. Simple idea today. We can pray for our leaders as the Bible encourages us to do. I need to share a caveat with you. There is a big difference between ancient Israel and all other nations, then and now, ever since, and listen, until Jesus comes back. There is a huge difference between ancient Israel and every other political nation. Look, the Old Testament church, that's basically what Old Testament Israel is. It's the Old Testament church. Israel was also a political entity. Ancient Israel was a theocracy in which God was its true king. And in God's name, a human king, the Messiah, the anointed one, a human king was anointed by God to govern Abraham's descendants in God's name. Also anointed by God to serve justice in God's name, both domestically and in foreign affairs. No political nation since ancient Israel has been commissioned by God in the same way. Not a single one. So we got to take a big step back when we read Psalm 21 as Americans. And you know what? Austrians and Ugandans and the Chinese have to take a big step back also when they read Psalm 21. And there has been, uh, I can say this about our, our society today, there has been, uh, I think for decades now, and kind of understandably, a growing skepticism about leadership, right? A growing lack of trust in leadership in all areas of life. I'm not just talking about government and politics. I'm talking about in religion, in the church, in education. A growing skepticism and even a cynicism. People are cynical about organized authority and leadership. I think Jerry Seinfeld, of course, in a very humorous way, just recently captured the popular cynical climate of our culture towards, towards leadership. And this, is, this, is what, this is what he said. The president's a weird job. People say, I think the president might be crazy. And then he goes, oh, yeah? So, well, what do you expect? Anybody who thinks they should be the president, there's your test right there. If you actually think for real in your head that you should be, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. I mean, these are crazy ideas. Who should be the most powerful person in America, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, the leader of the free world? You know, and you can see Jerry Seinfeld saying this, you know, that sounds like me. It seems like something I would be good at. I can't think of anyone better than me to be in charge of absolutely everything. Because I'm insane, is the rest of the sentence. Because I'm insane. So I understand those people. I, this is Seinfeld speaking. So I understand those people. I don't get upset. Or I try not to get upset about the politic people. Because you should know, or you do know, this is who they are. Quite, in a quite humorous way, Jerry Seinfeld is saying, it is absolutely ridiculous for a human being to think I could be in charge of half the planet. But such people exist. And they have an impossible job 
when they take an office like the President of the United States. And there are many other elected offices that are impossible jobs. Um, And yet I think Seinfeld captures the skepticism and the cynicism uh, that we all hold towards leadership in our society. And it's not just politics and government. Now look, despite being a skeptical people, the New Testament does say, as Paul said, we have to pray for our leaders, for all of our leaders. And, and not pray for them begrudgingly, but pray for them respectfully. And this is something that I have to remind myself of every four years and every eight years, regardless of who's elected and who's appointed, uh, regardless of who comes in and out of my home and in and out of the church and in and out of the school system as I put my kids in public school. I have to remember uh, that when God calls me to pray for my leaders, I'm called to pray respectfully and not begrudgingly for them. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, now this is a man who led the early church under the rule of the Emperor Nero, if you have any recollection of what history is. This is under Nero's rule, and this is what Peter said to Christians, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, how do you, because this is where we all go in our heads, how do you pray for leaders that you don't trust? How do you pray for leaders you disagree with, for leaders that you don't vote for? I think, as in all things, the Lord's Prayer guides us. And we read it at the beginning of the worship service. This is how we pray for people we don't trust and for people we disagree with. The disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus offers us here an actual template. It's not just a template. That's a technical term. Jesus offers us a vision for what God's priorities are. If you're going to pray to the creator of the universe, to the king of the universe, we had better know what his priorities are as we pray. In a sense, in Jesus's words, when we pray in his name, It means we're praying based upon his priorities and not our own. And so Jesus' answer was, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, God's agenda for our prayer life is that we always remember that he stays on his throne. He is our father and he is our provider. He wants us to remember that when we pray about the world, that he is on his throne, that he is our loving father who will provide for us regardless of the circumstances. I can pray for any leader knowing that that person is not my heavenly father. I can pray for any leader knowing that that person is not my provider. 
God's agenda for our prayers are that we always remember, again, I'm basing this on the Lord's Prayer, that we always remember we are susceptible to weakness and brokenness and sin. We are susceptible to being unforgiving. I can pray for any leader when I know how broken of a sinner I am myself. So we bless leaders of all sorts at every level by praying for them in a God-centered way, according to Jesus' vision, according to Jesus' priorities as, as we see in the Lord's Prayer. Charles Garriott, he's known as Chuck Garriott. He's, he's in D.C. He's actually with our denomination. Uh, but Chuck Garriott wrote a few years back, Christians may not get their political way, but they are expected to represent the gospel in every sphere of life. Thoughtful, intelligent, persistent prayer for our leader is part of what it means for us to be salt and light in a needy world. By the way, the title of that book is Obama Prayer. Prayers for the 44th president. And by the way, within the last year, he published another book, and guess what it's called? Something like prayers for Trump, prayers for our 45th president. And he's been criticized by both sides of the aisle for what he said, but I commend a Christian leader who is trying to set the right tone. To be subject to the Lord's stake, to every human institution, and to pray for our leaders, regardless of who comes and goes Question I have for you now. I don't want you to answer this openly. Just think about it this week. Do our priorities in prayer reflect God's priorities? When you pray about the society and about our government, there's all sorts of stuff happening in the news. We see, we see marches and protests and movements. Are you praying based on God's priorities as you understand in the Lord's Prayer? Or are we praying based on our own priorities? Do we pray in the name of Jesus? I don't just mean that as a platitude, like saying in Jesus' name, amen. But do we pray in the name of Jesus or are we praying in the name of a particular social movement? Or are we praying in the name of a specific political party? You can be a part of a social movement. You can be a part of a political party. But we must pray in the name of Jesus which means we pray based upon his priorities and not our own. It was Jesus who said to a bunch of leaders who tried to trick him, they gave him a denarius and said, hey, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus' answer was this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And the interpretation of what Jesus said, and in a, we can do another sermon on just that phrase, right? But the interpretation of what Jesus is saying there is this. Give to your leaders your respect. Even the ugly bad ones. Give to your leaders your respect, but give only to God your heart. Human beings deserve your respect. God alone has claims to your heart. I think we idolize our politicians or demonize them because our hearts are misguided. 
We crucify people when they threat, when they threaten what our hearts hold dear. And we put people on pedestals when they give us what we want to hear. And they meet our expectations. But Jesus is saying, only God can have your heart. Look, I'm going to close by saying this. Your prayers, our prayers for good leadership have already been answered by God. We pray for a good leader. We praise for wisdom. We, praise for ju- we pray for justice, for mercy. We pray for a sacrificial leader. Our hope is in all of these things. But you know what? God gave all of us. God gave all of us that in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to all of your most earnest prayers for good leadership. Jesus is the answer for all of it. Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul said, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. In Jesus, all God's promises find their yes. If your heart is on Jesus, you'll be content and you'll be, you'll, you'll be content and you'll be confident regardless of what's going on because your heart is given to Jesus and he has fulfilled all of your desires, the desires that no human leader can fulfill, whether it's your president or your dad. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. And man, that reminds me of how Psalm 21 ends. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. We long for good leadership. And in Christ, God's already given it to us. He laid it all down. You want a sacrificial leader? Jesus gave himself up for you. You want a wise leader? Jesus is the truth. You want a successful leader? Jesus said before he took his last breath, it is finished. You want a humble leader? Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You want a powerful leader? A leader that is finally going to put an end to the oppression, to the racism, to the division, to the injustice, to the abuse, to the poverty, You want a leader like that? Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. And when he returns, he is going to bring everyone to justice. And he is going to remember every hurting, forgotten soul, abused, evicted. We idolize and we demonize people because we forget that God has given us all of this in Jesus Christ. And so our hope is in Christ's return, not in the next election. It's in Christ's return. So we can pray for our leaders, as complex as it is, we can pray for our leaders with Christian contentment in godly confidence when we pray for them by God's agenda as we see in something like the Lord's Prayer, not by our own agenda. You know, we, we Christians have to rise above the party line. 
Christians have to rise above the talking points. And as legitimate as they may be, we have to rise above that and say, what are God's priorities? And pray God's priorities for our leaders. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are once again humbled by this ancient prayer, this ancient song uh, that causes us to reflect on how we understand leadership, whether it's parenting or teaching, mentoring, uh, whether it's management, uh, whether it's government. Uh, Father, I ask that you would help us to recalibrate our thinking uh, based on your holy word based on the worldview that Jesus offers us in the gospel. And Father, I know that on this side of heaven, even as Christians, we're not all going to agree on all issues, on all, um, on all leaders. Uh, we're not. Uh, Father, we ask that your Lord Jesus, that our Lord Jesus would come quickly and restore us all. In his name, amen. This week, we are taking... We are celebrating the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday instead of the third Sunday. And this is more than a commemoration. It is the power of God working through his spirit, working through this sacrament to encourage the Christian to not lose hope in this world. To encourage the Christian that our victory was accomplished by the death of our Savior, by the death of our King, the sacrificial Lamb of God. And when we take this bread and when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember that our risen King is coming back. Revelation chapter 21 says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's our hope, that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. And that gives us patience for this life. Whatever we're dealing with, whoever we're dealing with, it gives us patience and it gives us courage. We're not alone. He hasn't abandoned us and he's coming back and then the world's gonna see what our king is made of. There's somebody who lives that we can actually be proud of and can all agree, yeah, we all think that Jesus is good for humanity. No one's disagreeing on that. That's our unity as Christians. That we all believe that Jesus is good for humanity. And we're waiting for him to come back. So when we take the Lord's Supper together, Josh and I are going to lead you in singing as the bread and the cup are distributed by our friends. Two cups in one. Make sure you get both cups. Uh, but reserve them. We'll take them together after we're done singing. If you've been baptized and have openly professed your faith in Jesus in a Bible-believing church, and continue to trust in Jesus for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, then the table belongs to you and eat this meal that your Lord Jesus has prepared for us. If that, what I just said, doesn't describe who you are, if you know that doesn't describe who you are and what you believe and how you live, then friend, I'm just asking you, let the elements pass you by. Um, you're always welcome here. Uh, but the Bible warns us against taking the elements if you don't love and follow Jesus Christ. So as you let the elements pass you by, we have some prayers for you in the bulletin. Take a look at them. Maybe they'll speak to you and then maybe we can talk and see what it is that's holding you back from giving yourself to Jesus as your supreme leader. Let's talk about it. And maybe we'll take this meal together someday.
On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, see, even Jesus gave thanks. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul wrote that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. So in faith, let's celebrate this feast together. Our Lord, we ask that you would take these normal everyday elements and by your Holy Spirit, use them to encourage our faith, to nurture us, to build us up, to convict us, that we remember who we are, that we take hope in what Christ has done, in what he is doing right now for us, and what he will do when he returns. We take this not in sorrow that he died, but in hope for his return. Amen.